Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, me hombres, to episode 181 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. I'm Gary, and I'm here with my partner, Byron. How are you today, Byron? I'm doing good, hanging out with me, amigos. Yep, we figured we'd bring uh, this show internationally <laughs> this week. Very nice. What do we have this week, Gary? This week, uh, here in episode 181, uh, we have Kim Prousers. Um, Kim is a purple belt, and uh, there's some congratulations going out to her. She just got uh, silver, finished uh, second in the Pan Ams here just recently. So uh, congratulations to Kim. Yeah, the interview took place... Uh, I want to say about a month ago, uh, probably by the time this airs, a little bit more than a month ago. So uh, we're kind of working through a backlog of interviews, and hers was a while ago. Since then, since this interview, she competed in Pan Ams and took silver at Purple Belt. So that is awesome. That's a great accomplishment, and definitely want to mention that about uh, about Kimberly here, and uh, just kind of give a shout-out, because she doesn't get to say that part, because the Kim that you're listening to during the interview Hadn't won silver yet as a purple belt in Pan Am. So uh, we well, know we'll, something that she doesn't know quite yet. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely say it for her. So uh, congratulations there, Kim. And also, just so you guys know, it just seems like this happens, you know, a couple times. Like Bernardo Faria saying he was good, wanted to win the Worlds in one of our interviews, and then he did it. Um, so we're kind of like Sports Illustrated, except we're not the curse. Uh, if you come onto our show, you're probably going to win a – win a, a big tournament coming up so uh just to let you guys all know that uh we're kind of a good luck charm yeah and you will just like unlike sports illustrated you will not be seeing uh gary and i in scantily clad swimwear because uh that would cause some problems nobody would enjoy that uh, sort of a thing gary yep that's true uh, <laughs> i think we would uh that's why we're on the the radio though instead of on tv or you know on video we are on the audio side of things, and speaking of the audio side of technology here, we have an audio book, which is basically like this podcast. It's going to be me talking to you about your first year of jiu-jitsu. If that might be something that's relevant to you, we urge you to check it out. It is $11.99. I'm going to walk you through all of the common hurdles you'll run into your first year, even before that year starts. So finding the right gym, uh, your first month, what to expect. Uh, types of techniques that might benefit you the most uh, that you should focus on during your first year of training. All the way up to, if you want to compete, I've got a chapter on that as well, if it's for you. It's not for everybody, and that's fine as well. But it's uh, two and a half hours uh, of me kind of coaching you through your first year. I really want to get you through that and uh, have success and enjoy this martial art that you have found and uh, get the most out of it. So that's the goal with the audiobook. It's eleven ninety nine. Check it out on the show notes. Go to bjbrick.com and look for it there. It's pretty easy to pick up and download today. Definitely download it today. Um, hey, also, you do not want to miss a show. Uh, check out our link uh, to our email list. Uh, just put a valid email address in there. We know some people have been putting in some crazy emails, but uh, <laughs> put a valid email in there. And uh, this way, you'll get uh, the show notes delivered to you right to your inbox, hot and fresh, just like we like our donuts each and every week. So uh, that way, you'll never miss an episode. Well, we were missing a quote here earlier today, and Gary was kind enough to send me a quote. And he thought that it would get rejected, 
but uh, we're going to go with it here because, uh, you know, this is this is a quote that really speaks a lot to Gary, I guess. And uh, But I get to tell you guys about it today. This is from a gentleman named uh, Jeffrey Glover. I don't know what relation that is to uh, Mr. Jeff Glover. But, uh, Spells his name different, so yeah. it can't be the same guy. Yeah, you can't misspell a name and, and be the same person. And this is, uh, I think, a bit of a comical quote here, but you could figure that out for yourself. If your arm breaks, do not stop. If your windpipe is crushed, keep going. Your knee gets destroyed, why stop? Always, always going forward. Your body will heal itself so no reason to slow down. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I, the very last one. That's a little one, intense. Little intense. The very last one. Your body will heal itself. No, it won't. <laughs> it cannot always heal itself. You know, if you cut yourself a small cut, or you know, nothing that needs stitches because you need help with that, uh, a small cut or a little abrasion. Yeah, your body will heal itself just fine. Uh, but some things you need medical help for, or some things even medical help can't get you back to where you were. So, Gary, you found this quote. Thanks for sending it my way, and you thought I wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't be using it today, but here we are, and we're using this thing. I mean, it's it's a great quote. I mean, like we say all the time, if you want to get better at jiu-jitsu, you just got to keep moving forward. You just got to keep going. And, um, you know, don't let anything as small as a crushed windpipe stop you. Um, you know, I mean, think about if your windpipe gets crushed. You probably can't breathe. You're going to be put in an uncomfortable position. But that's what jiu-jitsu is about, being comfortable in uncomfortable positions. Our arms break. Let's say we break both our arms, our knee pi- our windpipe is crushed, and our neck gets dislocated. It's a tough time, but we need to keep moving <laughs> forward. Your body will heal itself. So, you know, this is great advice. Yeah, it might be. The worst quote we've had on here, Gary. That's some. It, it, so, as far as like the great advice goes, it's still the great advice, but it's the worst of the great advice, right, Gary? Or do you are you disagreeing with me entirely on this one? I'm disagreeing with you. You know, I, I just think you know. I even think that if you if you pass away on the mat, <laughs> you should still keep going. There's no reason <laughs> to stop. Yeah. There, well, there you go. Hey, it's one of those times in the show where uh, Gary and I kind of take separate. Uh, paths to to look at a quote and uh gary this one really speaks true to you i evidently and you know i've seen gary have to get resuscitated several times uh you know paramedics come out there they hook him up to machines and shock the guy and uh you know weird things have happened to, to gary and he's still here and he's still attempting to move forward you gotta move forward byron never stop never back down Never surrender. What do those have in common? They were all movies. <laughs> oh, Gary, I kind of feel like you're uh, you're fighting back a little bit after last week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. That's that's good stuff, Gary. I like it. Yep. And uh, I don't know if I'll be able to go back and find all the little movie clips from that one like I did with your uh, song list that I got out on you there. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a lot going on in this quote. I would urge you to tap when it's time to tap, to stay safe, and to preserve the body that you have. You only have one. Don't get injured, especially while training, and especially while competing, because you might have more than one uh, 
match today. So why get hurt in the one you're currently in? And I don't know. It's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely don't want to get hurt anytime. You know, in all reality, we, you know, we talk about this all the time. The more time we spend on the mat, the happier we're going to be, the better we're going to get. Every time we're injured, we're off the mat. We're not learning as much. Um, you know, even if you are off the mat injured, you can still learn. You can watch, uh, you know, videos. You can show up to practice and watch. You can help coach and, and learn. But um, you're going to learn more actually taking part. So stay healthy, stay hydrated, the double H's. So here's this quote. I'll read it again, but I'm going to change a couple of the words uh, to Gary. If Gary's arm breaks, do not stop. If Gary's windpipe is crushed, keep going. Gary's knee gets destroyed. Why stop? Always, always keep going forward. Gary's body will heal itself. So no reason to slow down. (laughs) That's a terrible quote. (laughs) I don't know where you got that one. It's in my uh, messenger app. So well, I is. think you need to delete it. <laughs> okay. Everybody delete that quote. We'll put it online uh, when this episode airs in the show notes, which will be in their inbox like we talked about earlier. Well, Gary, good news. Uh, the awkward quote and uh, nice movie list you did there has all wrapped up. And now we have an interview with Kimberly Prousers. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. His daily Eva guard was so strong that his opponent's mom fell over. He has never gotten mat burn, but sometimes you can find burn marks on the mat. Neil Armstrong watched him roll and said it was the most amazing experience of his life. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do... I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Kim Prousers to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to have you. A recommendation of a friend of mine and uh, JP Garcia, and and definitely glad to, to get you on the show. You've got a lot stuff to talk about uh, you're uh, in a lot of aspects you you're competing at a, at, a, at a very competitive level and you're a very busy person i think that's very relatable to a lot of people that are listening today uh, but kim i don't want to tell your story i want to hear a little bit from you tell us a little bit about yourself kind of uh, who you are what you're doing and, and what makes you uh, different yeah of course um so i have four kids. I have four boys that range in age from seven to 17. Um, I also work full time for an e-commerce business and, um, also just doing jujitsu. So I've been involved in jujitsu. I'm a purple belt in jujitsu. Um, I've been training for almost three and a half years now. Um, and very active competing, training, coaching, um, really have found a passion within the sport. What got you started in jujitsu? So I actually started um, jiu-jitsu for self-defense purposes. I was taking a woman's self-defense class, um, not jiu-jitsu at all, for about a year before I was training jiu-jitsu. And I would just go like once a week, and it was all girls, very like low-key self-defense. And one day I showed up, and the instructor wasn't there, and he had some guy that was subbing that was a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. And he said, I don't know what 
self-defense is really, but I did jujitsu and that's a good self-defense system. So we're just going to do jujitsu today. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I, I almost walked away because <laughs> I really, I don't like change. And so it was some like foreign person, but I was like, all right, let's do this. Um, but it was fun. It was, we did like very little grappling. Um, again, it was all females except for the male instructor, but it was fun. And so I thought, Maybe I'll try this jujitsu. At the time, I was um, very active doing other things. I ran marathons. I was cycling a lot, lifting weights. Um, but I thought, I'll do this one time a week. <laughs> That's it. That's all I have in my schedule to just do jujitsu once a week. Um, it was actually a huge investment even just to buy a gi. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. I'm going to have to buy a gi. What if I don't? It's a waste of money. But um, very quickly, I would say within three months, everything else slowly started dissipating from my table in terms of being active. Um, and jujitsu really took the forefront of, um, all of my physical activity. So uh, you sound like, uh, Kim, you sound like a busy person. You, you got four, uh, boys kind of at that age where, uh, they take a lot of time, uh, and they're, they're kind of figuring out their own things as well. But, uh, so you decided I'm going to try this once a week. Were you doing other physical activities? You said jujitsu eventually took over. Were you like uh, exercising, like running or doing other classes or were you doing anything else that, that, uh, occupied your time? Yeah, I was. So I actually used to run a lot before I started doing jujitsu. I run six full marathons. I don't know, like 20 half marathons. Um, and so the training for that was pretty intense as well. Um, but then I used to cycle and just do like a lot of conditioning type classes as well. Are you still doing those or did you kind of put those on the, the back burner or kind of put those away to train jujitsu more often? Yeah. Um, I, I don't really, I mean a little bit of conditioning here and there. Um, but I honestly just don't have the time for it. And again, jujitsu is my passion. So in the end, I would rather be on the mat training than running or anything like that. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's, it's, it's so much, it's so nice that we can have fun while we exercise. And, and I, yeah, I think that's one of the things that I actually really love because before, um, you know, it was always like, oh, I have to go run this many miles. Or if I was in the gym on the treadmill, you know, how, how many minutes have I been on here? Oh, only five. I've got like 50 more to go. Um, but I never feel like that with jujitsu. I'm always more sad, like, oh, I've been here two hours and it's time to leave. <laughs> yeah. The, the treadmills for myself is particularly challenging. Uh, I'll get on it. I don't, run, I don't really run treadmills anymore, but I'd get on there. Like I'll do three miles at two mile mark. I'll think, yeah, two miles is pretty good. I can stop at that. It's, it's just, uh, compare that to jujitsu, you know, you're done grappling somebody else. Hey, will you roll an extra round? Yeah, absolutely. Five minutes. Of, that would be fun. It compared to extra five minutes of running, which I was uh, kind of, you know, I just walked up the treadmill. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it's great that it's fun. Uh, but you're a busy person. So um, how many times a week are you training now? I usually train every day. So wow. seven days. <laughs> that, that's great. Uh, are you training at the same time every day or are you training at different times or how's that working in your schedule? Um, For the most part, I train at nighttime because I do work full time. So I have a pretty like eight to five type job. Um, Saturdays I train in the morning because we have classes in the morning and then Sundays we have classes at night. So for the most part at night, Monday um, I do work at home. So I have a little bit more flexibility and sometimes I can get in and train twice a day on a Monday, 
you know, in the morning and then at night. And uh, where, I don't think we mentioned, where are you located? What gym are you training, training at? Um, currently, I'm training at Pacific Top Team in Corona, California. Tell me a little bit about your competition history. So I've um, competed. So I'm currently a purple belt. I've only competed once as a purple belt, but I'm excited. Comp season starting. Um, and as a blue belt, I won um, the Sport Jiu-Jitsu World Championship in the Absolute Division, um, Pan Am's Silver Medalist um, in both Division and Absolute, um, Jiu-Jitsu World League, I've won their World Championship, uh, double gold like at LA Open, All-Americans. Um, yeah, so I've competed a lot and I've been very, very successful so far. Could you tell me about uh, the game that you play? Maybe some of your favorite techniques or positions? Of course. Um, so I'm very much a guard player. Um, I play a lot of spider guard, so I'm very known for that. Um, and yeah, so I'm a guard puller out the gate, love to be in guard. And it's actually interesting because I think more when I was a white belt, I would have never wanted to be there. Actually, the first time I competed, um, I never would have even thought to pull guard. I was hoping that my opponent would just pull guard on me and I could pass. And I probably spent the first year passing all the time. Um, but I think as I continue to train, I being a female in the sport, I trained with a lot of men and it's even when you pass with a male, it's easy for them just to reverse you, you know, (laughs) throw you off of them and you end up on bottom. And so I think it forced me to have to figure out how to play guard and spider guard was helpful just because it keeps the person away. So it really kept my opponent from smashing me. My legs are very strong. Um, again, I think as a female, my upper body strength is not strong, but my legs are strong. So it's easy to be able to control, um, from there. Do you mostly prefer gi or do you, uh, compete with Noki as well? Yeah, I actually, um, have only trained in the gi pretty much until recently, maybe the last three or four months I've started to train a little bit more Nogi. And I'm actually getting ready to compete for my first time in a nogi competition. How was that? Uh, tell me about that transition, that experience. As far as you know, you, you prefer spider guard, which basically is hard to translate over to nogi. Uh, how's it going? What techniques are you finding work good for you in nogi, and 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 how's that process? Yeah, um, you know, it's funny because I think the first week or so that I was training Nogi, I felt like totally fish out of water. Like I have no idea what I'm doing, nothing that I'm used to works. Um, but then I think you just start to flow and you're like, Oh yeah, this works still, this works still. Um, a lot of people at our Academy actually make fun of me because occasionally I will actually like do a spider guard without the gi. (laughs) So I just hold on the wrist and I still can get my foot on the bicep. Um, but I would say I still play a lot of open guard, even with no gi, um, like to get into like X guard and work from there. Um, and then I actually, I would say my favorite submission in no gi right now is a triangle on the back and then attack the arm from there. Uh, I'm trying to visualize that. Uh, you have my back, 
uh, both hooks in and you, you kind of walk your hooks up and you end up with a triangle, uh, kind of a reverse triangle position from my back. And then you, and you're tacking on from there. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Cool. Yeah. So usually you try to force one hand out and get the leg over it to lock up, um, a triangle from there. Um, I actually have like a unique, I like to take the back from, um, kind of a S mount position. And so usually from S mount just to taking the back, I can get the one leg over the arm already and it just locks in pretty perfectly. Um, it works better for no gi, I think, because there's less fabric there. So with the gi, it's a little bit, um, you know, the fabric catches. And I was actually training last night and I, the girl I was training with, she's like, I was not expecting that at all. I thought you were going <laughs> to arm <armor> me. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think it was a little bit of luck <laughs> just in how we fell, but, um, yeah, I'm just finding that Nogi, it, it works really well to be able to, to get everything in the right place for that submission. Kim, you mentioned that uh, sometimes the top game is a little frustrating. Uh, the people who are uh, bigger and stronger just kind of uh, put you back on your back and you need to work from there. Is S-Mount uh, a place that is easier to work from if you're a little smaller or not quite as strong as your opponent because you're off their hips and you're, you're kind of all your weight's up high on them? Yeah, I personally really like S-mount. Um, so I feel like in just a regular mount, it's really easy for them to get underneath my hips and push me off. I even have some of the guys that can literally just sit up on me, <laughs> which is funny. But S-mount, yeah, the weight is distributed a little bit differently. Um, and then I get to take the back from there or set up a bow and arrow directly from S-mount. Cool. It's, it's kind of always, I think it's fun to look and see what people are doing uh, for their own. It's, it's, it's an art form as well, and you have to make it your own. So you're finding the techniques that work well for you and, and kind of working on those and, and the stuff that doesn't work so well, you just don't even have to worry about it. You just work on the stuff that works out. Yes, definitely. I think um, one of the things that has made me I think successful competing is that for probably a year and a half now, I've really focused on my guard. Um, and so I've been just very, very focused in that. And so there's a lot of things that I sure, like I've been exposed to them, but it's not something that I drill or practice regularly. Um, and so being able to really essentially start my guard with just being able to set it up and slowly just, you know, months of kind of building um, my professor actually has done a lot of work with me and, and mostly, you know, I had three sweeps that I knew from my guard and then he would come sometimes and he'd be like, let me show you something new. And then no, 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 just go back to the three. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll just focus on the three. But now I've been working on one specific guard for a year and a half, two years now. And I have so many things. One day he's like, write down everything you know. Like if they do this, what do you do? If they do this, what do you do? And I think at the time, this was probably six to nine months ago, I had like 20 different options already. Um, so it even surprised myself, like how much that I had developed just this one position. Did writing it down help you, uh, while you're actually rolling because you had a little more fresh in your mind or did it, did it change anything? Um, I don't think it helps me in terms of rolling. It helps me to be able to teach it to other people. Ah. So I've done quite a few different spider guard workshops. Um, and it helps me to kind of 
have a good game plan of how do I teach this guard to somebody else and how that makes sense for them. Kim, you mentioned that you have uh, four boys, I think you said between the ages of 7 and 17. Uh, do they spend any time on the mats with you, or, or what are they doing? Yeah, they all um, train off and on. So my oldest is actually a blue belt, but he's a senior in high school, so he's busy. You know, he's playing some other sports and um, just busy with teenager life <laughs> type things. So um my middle two kids actually probably train the most. My He's 10. My kids just all had their birthdays, so their ages all just changed. But he just turned 10 last week. Um, he just got his yellow with white striped belt. Um, and then my youngest is kind of off and on, too. He's still a little, a little young, so it took him a while to get there. He spent kind of a year training regularly, and now he's shied away a little bit from it. But... I have no doubt with time he'll be back as well. How do you find that that place where you encourage them to train, but you don't push them too hard to where they actually might dislike it when they go and, and get on the mats? Yeah, I think um, that has to do really just with probably the way I parent them. Um, I want my kids to be happy, and jiu-jitsu is something that I love, but maybe not necessarily something that they love. Um, and so of course, like I love for them to be a part of it. My oldest son actually was like 13, 14 when I started training and he actually was training a little bit before me. So it was a really fun activity and good bonding for us, especially him being a boy. And in that kind of teenage year, I mean, I get to come beat up my mom, (laughs) you know, I can choke her out and (laughs) she's not going to get mad at me. Um, but I just, you know, I want them to enjoy it. I also am not like competing is something I love to do. And I think competing is something very personal. So my kids right now, they don't really have the desire to want to compete. And I'd rather them just be there enjoying the mats, enjoying the people there than to be pressured into, you have to compete, you have to be, you know, working, drilling so hard and just having like that sense of so much pressure that they're not going to enjoy the sport. That's a good good balance. You hate to see uh, a kid get into it and then get pushed too hard and then end up disliking it. So uh, it's a fun activity. No doubt they'll love it if you give them time to discover it themselves. And uh, I think that's what you're working on. Yeah, definitely. You kind of mentioned that your start was almost accidental. You were doing a women's self-defense class. And a brown belt came in and like, well, I can't really teach you uh, like the self-defense you were learning, but I'll be happy to show you some jujitsu. Um, do you remember sometime in that phase, maybe that week or the next week, where you felt like more comfortable doing jujitsu, and, and maybe what caused that? Yeah. So actually, um, my very first class, so not the one with um, that was like self-defense, but my very first jujitsu class. I actually had an experience, I think, that really forced me to want to do jiu-jitsu even more. So I was, I had been running a lot and, you know, I would run 16 miles out on the road where I live. Um, there's a lot of like dairy land, so undeveloped area still where it's like a two lane road and, you know, sometimes you go 30 minutes without seeing a car. And I had a few experiences where people had pulled over and tried to get me in their car, things like that. And 
So that was one of the reasons I was very interested to do self-defense. Um, but my first class, I actually was with a male, not a big male, maybe, you know, 190 pounds. And he had me in mount, didn't have any pressure on me, just literally like a table on top of me and was like escape. And I'm a very calm person, but I felt like I had a panic attack underneath him that day. And that really was eye-opening because I felt like, wow, I've taken self-defense for a year. And here I was in a safe environment with a guy that really wasn't even putting any pressure on me and I couldn't stay calm to defend myself. Um, and so I think that initially was really my driving force to be in there. Um, and I like to even say this to my students now to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so for me, like those were just kind of my first victories of like, okay, now I can have a 200 pound person smash me and maybe I can't even get out, but I can at least stay calm knowing if I have my hands in the right position, if I get to my side a little bit, I can survive here. I want to go a little bit uh, more into this because I think that time when you were basically new to jiu-jitsu, you were facing a panic attack. I've, I remember feeling so claustrophobic. I cannot move. I can't hardly breathe. It, those first times being mounted is is so intimidating. But he wasn't doing anything, uh, Not you say, basically like a table uh, on top of you, not really pushing in, any pressure or anything. What kind of escape? Um, it sounds like that was a maybe a close moment to where if it went terrible and you had the wrong person as an instructor who decided to make that a really tough thing that you might not have come back versus you had the right person who was really wanting to, to keep it a learning environment to where you could uh, kind of get a lesson from this and, and be encouraged to do better. Um, it sounds like that was really a pivotal moment in your uh, early jujitsu. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I, I think now being in that position as a brand new student, I didn't, I never even thought like it could have gone bad, but, um, now that I am on the other side and, you know, I have my own woman's program and I'm coaching, that is something that I always am looking out for. So to have new people come in, like always make sure they're partnered with somebody that's going to take care of them. Um, but yeah, I, I think if I had gone in and a guy was just going to smash me or something, I maybe I never would have come back. It's very true. Yeah. You really, you can't, you don't know what would happen. But uh, I, I think if there were you know, 10 people all in the same situation, the, the odds that you want to get, you know, the most of them coming back, you have to treat those people a certain way versus, you know, you might end up, you know, smashing them and really making them prove it. But you might only get one of those 10 to show back up the next day to do it again. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think that you, you started off with a, with a great training environment and that the that 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 was very fortunate. It sounds like you're trying to provide that for more people as you're training and and teaching uh, women's classes. Tell me a little bit about those. Yeah, so I, at our school we currently have a women's only program that we started about a year and a half ago. Um, and at the time, I the professor Professor JP had asked me to run it, and I was really taken aback at the time. I Jiu-Jitsu was very selfish, so I had just started to compete a lot, um, and I was very focused on myself. I knew that coaching would take a little bit of time away from my own personal training, um, and then I also just 
didn't really know if I'd be good at it. I was a blue belt. And so I felt like, really, there's so many other people that you could come and ask to do this program. Like, why me? But I like, I love to help. And so I really said yes, because I didn't really know how to say no. But I thought in my head, like, oh, I'm just going to do this, you know, for a month. We'll see how it goes. Um, I had trained, you know, at that time for close to two years and had seen so many women's programs fail. You know, they start on like, let's do this women's only program. And then, you know, over the weeks, the women stop coming because there isn't that many girls that train in jujitsu. Um, so we started with a few girls. And now I think we have somewhere between 30 and 40 girls on the mats training. Um, so it's really been a great experience. Um, for me, it, it has completely changed my outlook on jujitsu. My, my thought process of, you know, now I have to give up time to train. I think coaching and teaching has actually helped me because it helps me to continually go over techniques, think about them differently. It's one thing to be able to do a technique but then to break it down um, to somebody else, you know, and I think early on when I would teach, I would teach something and then I'd go around and watch and see where they would struggle. And then I'd realize like, Oh, here's this one detail <laughs> that I missed, you know? And so then you teach it again with this new detail and then people are much more successful with that. Um, but I think also being able to compete and share those experiences with the students is amazing. Um, and so I always feel like competition forces you into a new such situation every time. You have no idea what's going to happen, but you learn something and you're able to share those experiences with um, the students. And I think some, winning is awesome, but sometimes the losses are the even more important teachable moments to the students. And it's important if you do have that loss, uh, your, your students are still watching and learning from you as far as how to react from that and, and, and whether make it a big deal and have it be devastating or have it be something you learn from and, and you, you move on. And, and uh, I think that that's one lesson that's hard to teach if you don't compete is how to deal with that loss uh, by showing it as an example. Yeah, I agree. Um, I last year I had a, a couple of losses. Actually, my my first like big losses in terms of competition. So I had never been tapped in um, in any type of tournament, and so I got tapped for my first time, and I actually injured myself pretty bad <laughs> doing that from just my own kind of ego in the moment of not wanting to um, lose, but literally a week later I was on the mat with the kids, uh, helping coach. And we had these two boys that were like 12 years old and one of them had the other one in an arm bar. And, you know, I walked over and, you know, it was extended almost all the way. Like, okay guys, you're done tap. And one boy was like, I didn't tap. And the other boy was like, you know, yeah, he didn't tap. And at the time I had my arm in a sling and I said, do you see me with my arm? <laughs> you know? And they're like, yeah, coach Kim. Yeah, so I was pretty stubborn, and I decided I wasn't going to tap, and I hurt my arm pretty bad, and now I can't train. And I said, in the end, it doesn't matter. You know, the arm is extended. Um, you guys are good. Keep training. Like, have fun and keep being able to train. So don't 
let your ego get in the way. And I think like for me, their eyes got super big and they're like, okay, all right, we're going to listen to you <laughs> versus, you know, if I hadn't experienced that, um, I don't think it would have had the same effect. It's different to just tell somebody versus, you know, I actually had this experience. You see me here now I can't because <laughs> I hurt myself. <laughs> you, you could literally look at me right now and see what's going to happen to you because I'm in a sling. Yeah. It, yeah, it, and then also, go ahead. Also, I had um, we have a little girl at our um, academy that has been training for a couple of years now, and she's amazing. And she was very nervous to go out and compete, and she finally got the courage up to go, and she did worlds last year, and she lost. Um, and I remember seeing her the night after she competed, and going up to her and saying, "You know, Daniela, how did it go?" And she was like, I lost coach Kim. And she was so sad and defeated. And I looked at her and this was actually my first purple belt competition. And I had lost all my matches that day. And I looked at her and I said, it's okay, Daniela. I said, I lost every match uh, today as well. And she looked at me and she's like, really? <laughs> yeah. I said, but I had fun. I learned. I'm going to go back. I'm going to train harder and, you know, go back at it and do it again. And she's like, okay. I was like, did you get a medal? Yeah, I got a medal. Bring it to the academy tomorrow. We'll take a picture with it. You know, so the next day she comes in. Coach Kim, I brought my medal. You want to see it? Yeah, come on. Let's take a picture. Um, and so, again, like, I think it personally, like, I, I had a moment of defeat of, like, gosh, you know, I can't believe that I lost. But then a few hours later to have one of my students come up and to be able to relate in that way to them. You know, it's one thing I have been super successful. Um, but I think when people see you almost as, oh, you always win, um, it's hard to relate with you if you're maybe not that person. So I think it's great to have those experiences as well to be able to show them that, you know, a winner isn't necessarily what makes a champion either. Um, I think it's easy to win. It's harder to lose and to overcome the challenges um, that maybe you faced to turn it back around and become a winner again. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing that story. Um, you mentioned that sometimes women's classes kind of fail. Uh, for I think you mentioned that not enough people to kind of keep it going. Uh, if somebody is trying to start a women's program and, and have uh, you know women's class, women's only classes, and, and try to encourage the development. Uh, at their gym, what advice would you give them to get that program up and running and be successful? Um, I really think that having a female run it is a, a key part of it. Um, every other woman's program that I had ever seen has been run by a male. And I think for me personally, I always trained under male instructors. Um, but I remember as a white belt, feeling like I always would be so excited when a upper belt female would come to the, the gym or the academy to train, um, going to some open mats and just being able to search out, you know, at the time, like purple belts or a black belt, um, and being able to talk to them about, about like, Hey, this is what's going on. <laughs> you know, is this normal? Is it okay to feel that way? Cause the dynamic is different to be a female on the mat versus a male. Um, and I think especially in the beginning, because you don't have a lot of technique, but some of the guys come in 
that are brand new and they don't have technique, but they're very strong or they just have the adrenaline to be able to, um, I don't know, smash everybody with their strength and females for the most part don't have that. Um, I also just think the close nature of grappling is not something that is as appealing to women off the bat. Um, so I think that having a female there, they just feel more comfortable and it's interesting because it took me probably a year to even realize that as the woman's program started to grow, um, and not really knowing why or what I was doing (laughs) that was making it happen. Like, honestly, I thought like, Oh, it's just, it's professor JP. Like they're coming for his school or (laughs) whatnot. And one day he was talking to somebody and he was like, yeah, the woman's program has been super successful. You know, I've done jujitsu for 20 years I've never seen a woman's program this successful ever in my life. Um, and he's like a hundred percent. It's because she's teaching it. And it kind of took me aback at the time thinking like, really? But I realized now, um, just in the last three months, we've had a lot of newer female students that just being, there's something about a female to female interaction, especially in that environment that's comforting to them. So they can come on the mat and just, whatever is going on, like I can relate with them. Um, and even so now we have co-ed classes and the females do go to the co-ed classes, but usually always like with me, they're kind of holding their hand of coach Kim, are you coming? (laughs) Yes, I will be there. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I think if you can find a female to run it, that's an awesome thing just off the bat. I think it'll be very successful. And like myself, I was just barely a blue belt when I started coaching. Um, it doesn't have to be a high level female. Uh, I think initially I thought, Oh, I'm a blue belt teaching. Like, what do I have to teach people? But when you're a blue belt teaching white belts, then to be a successful teacher, I think you only have to be a few pages ahead, um, in the book of your students. And so as a blue belt, you have a lot to teach a brand new white belt. And even now, um, we just promoted our first female blue belt a few weeks ago. So that was super exciting. Um, but I have quite a few like three and four stripe white belt females and they have so much to teach these brand new girls that are just starting out. Well, it really sounds like you're, you're building the team there. Are, do you encourage them to go to the co-ed classes or do you kind of leave that open for them to ask you about or, or where do you stand on that? Um, I do. I Usually it's case by case. So some of the girls really stick to the female only and that's where they're comfortable. But I do encourage it. Um, I do. I think they're always a little afraid that they don't know what they're going to experience with the guys in the class. So um I think just making them feel comfortable that guys in general can be amazing training partners. And I think that that's one of the things that uh, Professor JP does a great job at is making sure that everyone always has a safe environment to train in and really teaching the men how to properly train with the females. Um, So for the most part, I, I think most of the guys in our academy are really great training partners, even for the brand new females coming in. Kind of mentioned that they want you to be there. You know, are you going to be in this class? And it sounds like basically you are. I mean, you, you train all the time, but uh, eventually 
it's going to be that they'll ask each other, I think, are, are you going to be able to make it? And the fact that at least one of them will be there. And then I think after that happens for a while, they just won't care. And, and they'll just go train uh, when they can. And regardless of who's there, cause they know everybody. So that, uh, it sounds like that's what's going to happen. Do you think that that's a good uh, guess or prediction? Yeah, definitely. And I, I already see it happening with some of the girls that have been training for a little bit of time that they, they message each other. Um, and I think even after they're there for a few times, they've come to a couple of classes and, they see like, okay, you know, everyone here is nice. Even the guys are nice. Um, and they get comfortable with that and they're, they're happy being able to train, um, in the co-ed classes as well. Kim, you mentioned that you compete and you've won, uh, multiple times in the absolute division. Uh, what changes for you? What, uh, when you're stepping in the absolute division, you're getting ready to compete with somebody who's significantly bigger or stronger than you. Uh, does anything change with your game or, or mentally or? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because absolute for me, I always feel less pressure and, um, more like I can just have fun. So whenever I do division, I, I'm nervous, uh, feel a lot of pressure. Like I I have to win. And with absolute, I think every single time I go out there, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to go have fun. It's a little bit of extra training. Let's see what's going to happen. Really like, don't feel nervous. You know, sometimes like I know Pan Am's, it was division was early in the morning and absolute was way at night. Um, and so sometimes like you think like you'll get the jitters again, but just walk in and I was like, Oh, let's just have fun. Um, and so I don't know if maybe because there isn't the nerves there that I perform better. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's fun. And so I always encourage everybody, like, I think you should do absolute, like it's a good experience. I think, especially as a female, um, our divisions tend to be a little bit smaller sometimes, and we just don't get to train with females as much. So to be able to go have a good, experience. Um, you know, why not take it as far as changing my game plan? I think I really don't like to be on my feet. (laughs) So pulling guard is always where I want to be. Sometimes I've had some much larger opponents. Um, but I still tend to to pull guard. Like last Worlds, I actually went against somebody in absolute that I think was probably 100 pounds bigger than me, and I ended up still pulling guard on her. Um, so there's a few things that I probably do a little bit differently. Like I'm not going to go and triangle somebody like that uh, from bottom. Um, but guard game is still the same, um, you know, maybe tire them out, frustrate them a little bit more before I try and sweep, but still usually the same game plan. Cool. And I think that's part of the reason why, uh, you've had so much success because you don't have to change a whole bunch of things to get your game plan to work for the, 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 the bigger and stronger athletes. Uh, you're in the same game and you don't have to, uh, plan A, <laughs> that's what you're working on. You don't have to go to plan B in order to, to have success in, in the absolute division. Yes. Yeah. Very true. Uh, Kim, what advice would you have for uh, a woman who is maybe in a similar situation to you? There's no women's program. She's interested in training jujitsu, but uh, you know, is just gonna have to jump in uh, to a to a regular class without having the the benefit of a women's only class. What what advice would you give to her? 
Um, I think one, your instructor is going to make a huge difference. So if your instructor is there and you're willing to have a good dialogue with them, that's going to make a huge difference. But also I think communicate with your partners always. So I was fortunate, um, as a white belt to have quite a few upper, um, male belts, some blue and purple belts that were more my size to train with, um, that were very technical. Um, but just to be able to communicate. And I think it's hard sometimes as a female to have the voice to say like, Hey, that was too much pressure. Or, (laughs) um, can you be a little bit more technical with me? Um, but it's like any relationship you have to just be able to communicate. And the more you can communicate with somebody, um, I think on the mats you are in a sense, you're building a relationship of good training partners. Um, I think also it's okay to not want to train with somebody as a female. So if for whatever reason you maybe had like a really bad experience with them, or maybe, you know, you did communicate with them like, Hey, could you maybe not smash me quite as much? And they're not willing to do that. Um, I think that's something where you do have to maybe have a conversation with your instructor and be able to say like, Hey, can you not pair me up with this person? Um, but I think for the most part, um, especially new, like try and pick colored belts (laughs) over white belts because colored belts tend to, they've learned by that point, um, how to train with especially like white belts, you know, some, some of the white belt males, there's still some, some ego, they don't have the technique. And so sometimes you can have a bad experience with them. But I think it's, if you go in and you, you pick, you know, some higher belts to train with, you're going to have a good experience. Yeah, I, I agree. That's one thing I've uh, recently got my wife, uh, getting to the mats pretty regularly. And, uh, she, sometimes she's a little nervous about who to get paired up with. And, Basically, I tried to help her originally, like, hey, grab this guy, grab her, she's, she'll be fine, grab this this guy. He looks big and mean, but he's a really nice guy. But eventually it comes down to, if, if they have a colored belt, they're probably not going to you know, be too rough on you, and, and they'll work with you a little bit. Um, and she's had great roles with, with other white belts, but uh, uh, kind of a, a, a general rule, if they have that, that belt and the confidence that they don't need to smash everybody they roll with, uh, it's a good training partner. Yes, definitely. What what goals do you have uh, in the future for your uh, either your teaching, the class, or maybe your competition goals? Yeah, so competition goals, um, I definitely would like to obtain world championship titles at every belt. Um, training, I think I always, like, I want to train as much as I can. I want to be able to give my best always in everything that I do. Um, teaching, I, I think I really just want to continue to grow, uh, the women's program specifically. Um, because I think training jujitsu as a woman is really empowering. Um, I think it translates over to so many aspects of life. I know, I mean, I started training at 30 years old, you know, I already had four kids. Um, I'd been through a lot of stuff in life, but jujitsu has given me a lot of confidence in ways that I never would have expected it. Um, a lot of character development as well. And so to be able to share that with other women, um, especially and be able to empower them is a great thing. So I really, you know, have a heart and a passion to be able to 
have women on the mat training. And I, I definitely appreciate you that. And I think we're uh, hopefully encouraging a few today on the podcast as well. How do you find time to get on the mat so often with a full-time job, uh, four boys, and uh, you sound like a very busy person. How, how do you find that time? So I always have this saying that I tell to people when they tell me, oh, I don't have time to do that. Um, I tell them if something is important to you, you're going to make time to do it. So I'm pretty structured in my life, um, very organized, very scheduled in everything that I do. And I literally plan out my whole week of when I'm going to train, um, what I'm making for dinner that night, what the kids have going on in terms of activities and everything just gets penciled in. Um, you know, sometimes that means you got to get up at five in the morning and train at 6 a.m. Um, I used to train at 6 a.m. for a while when I had kids activities in the afternoon, I just didn't have time. So I'd get up at 6 a.m. and train before work. Um, you know, there's other things that obviously I don't have time for. So I don't really watch TV, <laughs> you know, people are always like, Hey, you watch this show. Did you watch this? No, I don't watch TV. Like I don't even have cable in my house, uh, because I don't have time for it. And it's not something that's important to me. So I'd rather be spending my time training with my kids, um, working, you know, obviously I have to pay my bills. <laughs> so just, I think, if something's important to you, maybe you're going to have to give something up that's not as important. Um, but there's always a way to make things happen. Yeah. You could say that either you don't have time for something or another way to say that it's not a priority right now. And uh, right. cause you can always find the right, the time for basically anything. If it's a big priority, yeah. if you have a, a pipe break in your house and there's water spraying everywhere, you have time to fix that problem because it's a huge priority. It's causing a lot of damage. A lot of things get put aside. Uh, I think you mentioned that, you know, scheduling it and figuring out, uh, being organized is a big part of that and uh, taking that seriously because uh, it's his priority for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I mean, there's so many days that I think like I would never get to the academy to train if I wasn't organized, but I have to think about what is my next day going to look like? Am I going to get off at four? Am I going to get off at five? Do I need to pack all my stuff and go straight, you know, from work to the academy or do I have time to stop by? Um, I also find that being busy in some ways makes things easier because I'm just always go, 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 go. <laughs> it's literally the days that maybe I have an extra hour in my afternoon and I make it home and I sit on the couch. And I'm like, Oh, I'm tired. <laughs> you know, that I, I don't want to get back up to the, get, get, back up and out and go train. Um, so sometimes I think for me, it's actually easier to be busier. <laughs> yeah. They always say, give, if you have something important to, to be done, give it to somebody who's busy because I guess they schedule it better. They figure it out. You give it to somebody who has lots of free time. They'll just put it off and, and, uh, let things slide sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Kim, could you think back uh, about your early training and talk about something that frustrated you, uh, about jujitsu or about training and how you got past that? Of course. Um, I think in the beginning, jujitsu frustrated me a lot, everything about it. Um, I was very much like growing up my whole life an overachiever in school. Um, everything came very easy to me and jujitsu was not that way. 
And so that's something actually I always try and share with my new students is that jujitsu isn't easy. Um, it's, it's, you move your body in ways that you just don't know how to. Um, and so in the beginning, like I would walk out of class and somebody would be like, what'd you learn today? I don't know. <laughs> Not cause I wasn't paying attention, but just cause I, I couldn't remember. Um, and I think like in the beginning, a lot of chokes and like turning of your wrist would frustrate me a lot. I literally, my coaches would come around and they're like, no, you need to move them like this. And I would look at them. I'm like, my wrists don't move that way. Like, I really think maybe there's something wrong with me. <laughs> um, or even just being able to mentally understand a concept that was taught, but then physically not be able to go back and do it. That was very frustrating. But I think you just have to keep going. You just have to keep co coming to class. And the more you do something, the more repetitions that you do, your body gets used to doing it. Um, I think like spider guard for me was something that now I've been very successful with it. But the first two times I saw it, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. I was like, my hips can't move that way. Which legs down, <laughs> which legs up. Uh, but then it was like the third time that I was like, oh, this kind of makes sense. Um, but I also think like, I like to use the analogy that, uh, jujitsu is kind of like learning to type. And so if you think back to, you know, in grade school or whatever, when you learned how to type, like initially you chicken packed with two fingers, you know, and then maybe you take a typing class and they show you how to put your fingers on the correct keys. Um, and you look at the keys the whole time, but then eventually they say, don't look at the keys anymore. And you have to think like very hard, you know, what do I have to do to hit the T? You know, I have to move my left index finger up and to the right. But eventually, like as adults, we all just type. We don't really think about it. Our body just does it. And so jujitsu, I think, in a lot of ways is like that. So you come in and you literally are just learning what the keyboard is. Um, and then as you progress on, you're going to get to where you're going to know the proper placement of your fingers. Um, and eventually you get to a point that in a lot of ways, much of what you do, your body just does it. Like I feel like now where I am, I used to always think in the beginning when I would spar, I would think at work like all day, I'm going to do this one move and I'd replay it over and over in my head. And usually I didn't even get the chance to do my one move, but I had to think about it. And now I don't really think about things. A lot of it is just my body reacting. Oh, you know, their legs here, I got to move this direction or their arms here. I'm going to attack it. Um, and I think the only way to, to overcome those things is to continue to be on the mat. Um, and so I always try and tell my new students when they come in, you know, a lot of them don't know how to forward roll and they get super frustrated and almost, I think, embarrassed. And I tell them, like, you just got to keep coming. You just got to do it over and over again. Um, embrace drilling. You know, every time you drill, it's not about perfection. You're going to have good reps. You're going to have bad reps, but just keep doing it. And over time, you're going to see that improvement. Um and so I think like for me, some of my happiest moments is to, to see my students, see some of these girls that have come in and they can't forward roll. And six months later, we're doing warm ups and their eyes get so big and they're like, oh, my gosh, I did it. Like I told you, you just had to keep coming. Yeah, Kim, I, I love your example of uh, typing on the keyboard. I never thought of that 
as a comparison to jujitsu. But if you don't know how to type and you don't even know where the keys are, that's like day one of jujitsu. You don't even know how to tie your belt. You've you've seen people type, but you know you've seen people grapple, but you really don't understand any of it. And to hunt and peck and and figure out where the T is. Okay, where's the next letter I'm looking for? And, And to experience that very slow, you know, clicking of the keys as you're trying to figure out the keyboard. And then, of course, you know, we have these little programs that we you could learn that you know you could type these words as they're falling from the sky or little games you could play to make yourself type faster and eventually like i'm a moderate speed typer but uh it it looks very fast compared to somebody who's hunting and pecking and, and somebody who's a good typer it's just amazing like look what look what the person who's hunting and pecking is doing compared to the person who's just their hands are just like flowing over the keyboard and words are just appearing uh, properly spelled and spaced and punctuated and everything it's like a black about level of uh, typing and the two worlds are so far apart but uh but through a little bit of training and and uh practice you could get there definitely and i think I think so many people are just discouraged at the gate. So to be able to encourage them um, that it, if you're persistent, it will get better. It's not like you come in here. I, I mean, I really, I'm sure there are people that are just, they're naturally gifted. And of course, it's just easier for them. But um, I, most people come in and they all are <laughs> uncoordinated and, you know, nothing makes sense. Um, and so just to be successful is you have to continue to come and learn. Yep. That's, uh, that's, that's great advice. Kim, I've had a great time talking with you. Uh, do you have any final thoughts for the listening audience? Yeah, I just want to, um, maybe end by just telling people that jujitsu is not scary. Um, I think when I first started, I really felt like, you know, it was very intimidating it's like fighting. I mean, you hear that word, but I personally don't even feel like it's fighting. It's really, it's a, a technical way to manipulate the body. Um, so don't be scared to try a class. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a great workout. Um, and I think also just always focus on while you're, why you are there. So jujitsu is great in that I think there's a lot of different outlets for why you can train it. So you can train it maybe to be a competitor. You could train it just to be active as a good um, form of physical activity, um, or possibly you're training it for self-defense reasons. Um, Most of them, I think, somehow they go hand in hand. Um, Sometimes your reasons change like mine. I started for self-defense. Now I'm very much um, competition-driven with it. But it's a fun activity, and I think that you – will gain a lot more than you ever would imagine from trying it. It's been great talking with you, and uh, I definitely appreciate the uh, motivation here at the end. That, that's great. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been a blast. How could, is there any way somebody can get a hold of you if they want to train with you or get to know you better? Yeah, so um, I'm on Facebook. Um, my name, Kimberly Prossers. I'm also on Instagram. My Instagram name is Female White Belt. Um, and then I train at Pacific Top Team in Corona, so you can always Google uh, the academy name and um, find information there. The website for the academy is pttcorona.com. 
All right. Well, Kim, it's been a blast talking with you. I look forward to seeing, uh, watching you compete and stuff like that in the future. And I'll uh, definitely have you on Facebook, and I am anticipating uh, uh, those results and, and keeping up with you in the future. All right. Thank you so much again. Well, I'd like to thank Kimberly for taking the time out and coming on the show and uh, teaching us all a, a thing or two here about jiu-jitsu and life in, in general. But um, uh, when Byron was talking to Kimberly, we forgot to uh, you know, give a shout-out to her sponsors. So um, we'll have a link to it on the show notes. But uh, her sponsor is uh, Strict 9 Clothing. So definitely check them out. Uh, you know, a great company there and uh, a cool name too. So um pretty cool strychnine a bit confusing uh spelled s-t-r-y-c-h the number nine so it it is a clothing company for jiu-jitsu that a lot of the clothing is historical based around the martial arts so you're going to find uh you know not just like little there are some funny shirts that that are more modern i guess but there's some historical shirts that you'll find that that a lot of the audience I know would probably enjoy check, checking out. So there'll be a link to that in the show notes. And uh, they've been supporting Kimberly, and uh, we're glad for that. And uh, check out uh, Strict Nine. Yeah, and the best thing about this is I realized never to get Byron on my team if we're going to do a game show. As Byron was trying to figure out the name, he kept saying, Strike Nine, <laughs> Stretch Nine. And uh, so you definitely don't want him on your team if it's doing dealing with puzzle solving or anything of that sort. So uh, you'd be better off having somebody with a cali- the mental caliber of, like myself. That Gary, I cannot uh, cannot deny or debate any of that. I would not be good on a on a uh, trivia team or Jeopardy style of a team or even a jiu-jitsu team. You know, but what Byron is good at, he's good at taking people down a path. And making them say the same quote every week. Literally, he's that good at it. Yep, that's right, Gary. I always have your back. Literally, Byron. Yes. Literally. <laughs> Gary, this is a very special podcast. There's only been 16 Matt Tales until now. This is Matt Tales number 17. We're going to call it Locker Room. Here we go. This is Matt Tales. We bring you amazing jujitsu stories. The stories might be funny, unfortunate. It could be about an epic fail or an epic win. So sit back, my friend, relax, dry off your sweat from rolling, and enjoy Matt Tales. Welcome to my gym, my friends. Hey, step on back right into the locker room. Waste no time. This Matt Tales takes place in the men's locker room. We have been having an issue with our light switch in the men's locker room for a couple of weeks. We've tried calling Sparky's Electric, and the guy just never shows up when he says he will. The light switch in the men's locker room will sometimes work perfectly fine. Sometimes, though, when you turn the light on, nothing happens. And sometimes, when you're in the locker room and the light is on, it will turn itself off all by itself. Kind of strange, we're doing our best to get somebody in here to work on it. I am definitely not an electrician, so that is not my category. One thing I am, though, is a 1980s movie buff. I like all the 80s movies, especially the comedies and the sci-fis. 
and I recently downloaded a bunch of 80s ringtones for my phone so I could be reminded of these great 80s movies anytime randomly throughout my day when somebody will call me. It's been a lot of fun having these 80s ringtones on my phone. Well, it was after a hard day of training, and some of the guys and I were in the locker room changing, joking around, just being guys in the locker room. And all of a sudden, the lights went out. At this point, no big deal. Nothing weird going on in here. It's just a bit different to be in a locker room with people in different stages of being dressed and there's no lights on. It is a little bit creepy. This is when my phone started to ring. My wife was calling me. That familiar ringtone and this timing was classic. As we stand there in the dark, everyone probably a little creeped out, wondering what's happening. Needless to say, it was a very funny situation with the timing of the Ghostbusters theme song and the lights going out by probably some kind of a ghost in our electrical system. But I tell you who we're not going to call is Sparky's Electric. This has been Matt Tales. Some of the names and places may have changed. We may in fact have taken some creative liberties with the story. In order to keep Matt Tales going, we need more tales. Tales from listeners like you. Send your tales to bjjbrick at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing your amazing stories. All right. I love that movie, Ghostbusters, when I was a kid. It would... Uh... I don't know if I realized it was a comedy, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that music, the, the the lights are off, his phone starts ringing, that music kicks on, it's Ghostbusters music. Yeah, that is a good one. Uh, little when the, when the guy sent it to me, he's like, it might be too short. Short is okay. Uh, we like funny, you know, creative yeah, or what? Byron, it's a unique yeah, story. Byron, Byron has heard that most of his life. Short <laughs> is okay. <laughs> I've heard the opposite of that uh, with many disappointment as well. But uh, we do need you to send in Matt Tales. Uh, if you've got a funny story, jujitsu related or locker room related, perhaps, uh, send it our way, bjjbrick at gmail.com. Uh, without uh, you guys, this uh, Matt Tales just stops right here, and we have no more Matt Tales to share with the audience. So we do need people like you to type it in and send it. Uh, you know, a lot of shows go by without Matt Tales. A lot of them go in between a lot of episodes go without this. So uh, it's very fun to have this locker room or Ghostbusters Matt Tales on this episode. So that's uh, that's good. Uh, one thing that helps us do this is Patreon. Uh, Patreon is a website for content producers like ourselves, people producing podcasts. Uh, if you think this is worth like a cup of coffee, you know, listening to us today talk about jiu or a candy bar or whatever you might uh, spend a low amount of money on, but I think, yeah, it was worth it. You can go to Patreon and pledge. You can pledge a dollar, two dollars, three, whatever amount uh, your heart desires. We will send you out a BJJ Brick Gee Patch uh, at certain increments, uh, after, basically after it's paid for. After you've paid for it, uh, it to help us uh, recover some costs. But uh, yeah, it, Patreon has been a great help to the podcast. It's really helped keep this brick floating. We've had some rough times, technically speaking, that. Some of the issues were fixed basically with money, you know, getting the web servers to help us out. And uh, Patreon really came in and saved the day. So there's only a handful of supporters on there. 
and each one of them is very important to us. If it, it, we're, way less than one percent of the listening audience is supporting us on Patreon, so if you think, yeah, I'm probably a one percent fan of the podcast, swing by Patreon. There'll be a link in the show notes. Check it out, and if you think this is worth worth a cup of coffee a week or a candy bar a week, we're healthier than that, and uh, we'd love to have your help. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we do appreciate our Patreon supporters, and another thing we appreciate is a nice, crisp and clean takedown. Um, I think it's time for the article of the week. Uh, this one's from uh, GracieBaja.com. Three tips to improve your takedowns. And really, we talk about jiu-jitsu. We love to submit people. Uh, we love to get the match to the floor and, you know, try to twist some arms, choke some necks, you know, cross some windpipes. You know, if a windpipe is crushed, <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to be moving forward. So, um, you know, you're probably going to win the match. But we're not going to be able to win if we can't get the person to the floor. So uh, definitely uh, you do need to uh, figure out, you know, a way to get your, your opponent to the floor. And you, you basically need to train takedowns. You can't neglect takedowns. And, and I think takedowns are probably one of the areas that is most neglected. Um, but you, you, you do need to put it into your arsenal. You do need to have ways. And, you know, besides just pulling guard, um, you know, pulling guard, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. There's people who are, you know, very good and, and like to uh, set up leg locks from there or very good on the bottom. Um, but, you know, you get a double guard puller. You get somebody who pulls guard first. Uh, you, you're you going to have to learn takedowns. So, uh, um, you know, you're going to – it's it's a no-brainer. You're going to have to get in there and work on takedowns. Yeah, um, that's the, the – I guess the first point of the article is that you need to do a takedown if you're going to compete, Gary. Uh, you know what? From my perspective, you don't need a takedown to compete. You you need to have a, a way to start your jiu-jitsu. So if you're really confident in your guard and your bottom game, it's okay to pull guard and not not address that side of your game. Now, is it smart to not tra- train takedowns? I would say no. It's a it's, a, it's an important skill to have. If you're going to be grappling, spending time on the mat, you need to learn takedowns. But to compete, if you say my takedowns are weak, I don't want to compete. You, if you're comfortable pulling guard, you can still compete this weekend. You don't, and you don't have time to learn takedowns. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit mixed on this. It, it's definitely a competitive advantage to be able to control where the match starts. If you're going to start uh, on top or bottom, that person is in a good spot to be. If you know the person is great at passing guard, but they have a weak guard, and you have to pull guard anyway because you don't have a takedown, you're setting yourself up for a, a, a tougher match than you need to. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a great competitive advantage to have a, a good takedown or a handful of them. But uh, especially earlier on, you—I don't know if you're—you're requ- you're not required to have a takedown. It, it's a—it's a smart idea. It's a good game plan. Yeah, definitely a good game plan. Um, you know, they talk, uh, give a couple different uh, tips here. Uh, three tips to improve your takedowns. And you know, the first one's uh, get a grip. Uh, basically, you know, it's going to be grip dominant you are going to have secure grips you're going to have to strip grips if uh you're trying to defend him but um you know basically work on your grips um and he's talking about you know learn a few takedowns from the same grip you know a, a way to confuse your opponent you know if you're gripping one way and you just have one takedown and you're going every every time for that takedown pretty soon your opponent's going to realize what's going on so make sure you have a, a couple you know takedowns a couple different options you know from your favorite gripping position i do like this article from gracie baja it does have a lot of great advice 
uh, it does kind of overlook the idea of wrestling style takedowns. So uh, getting a good grip, especially in nogi, uh, you know, you, it, it's not quite the same getting that collar grab as as grabbing the guy's uh, mullet from the back and trying to throw him with that. It's just, you know, all these takedowns are great, but uh, also consider mixing in uh, a, a ju- uh, judo takedown with a wrestling takedown. It's, it's good uh, to, to mix it up there and, and keep your opponent guessing and uh, be able to shoot from the outside is not a bad idea. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, wrestling takedowns, judo takedowns, uh, you know, any type of takedown, you know, uh, basically is just going to help your game, you know, instead of just having one style of takedown. Um, you know, another thing he talks about is focus on, you know, two or three main takedowns. And, you know, we talk about this a lot that we say we'd rather be, you know, have, you know, a couple tools in our in our tool box, not basket, Byron, box that we're really, really good at versus, you know, having a hundred tools in our toolbox that, you know, we're only okay at, you know, so they're, they're saying, uh, focus on two or three main takedowns, you know, get pretty darn good at those takedowns and, and, and kind of like what we're talking about with a grip, you know, being grip dominant, you know, make sure that they complement each other, um, you know, going to definitely help you out that way. But uh, you don't really need to know 25 takedowns or, you know, as Byron says, 27 and a half takedowns, you know, two or three will definitely uh, help you out there on the mat. Yeah. And it does say on here, it helps if they complement each other. So if uh, your takedowns, uh, if one fails, you move to the next one. That is that is great. Other than having uh, one that you have trouble getting to uh, really isn't going to do you a lot of good. So if you do like an arm drag and you get to the back and you want to throw mama from the train from there, uh, those that's a good combination. But if you want to try to throw mama from the train and you can't get to the back first, you, you've got nothing, Gary. Yeah, you always have to throw mama from the train. <laughs> I mean, if you're trying to get get to the back, I mean, not that doesn't happen all the time. So you are really going to know have to know how to get there and and sometimes you just have to you just have to brave heart it you just have to go right through there <laughs> i do think okay uh gary threw out a couple of movie tiles at me and actually there's a movie called takedown so you've got it like you're up by 30 by now but uh throw mama from the train would be a great name for a takedown and why not that would be something yeah, when you I get like their it. back and you just kind of throw them behind you that's a pretty cool name Yep. But coming up on the last one, Gary, what do we have at the last part here? Well, the last one, uh, I do not know how to pronounce it, but I guess it's Uchkomi. Uh, yeah, to Gary originally said uh, that I would handle the last one, but I also don't know how to pronounce it. Uchkomi, <laughs> okay. Well, let's just say you're going to keep drilling the technique. Um, basically, they talk about judo training is largely centered around performing up to 200 repetition, repetitions of Uchikomi of your favorite throws. Uh, you know, sets of 10 uh, will burn the movement into your muscle memory. You'll develop the footwork and ability to enter lightning fast into your takedowns. So it's basically just drill in. Um, you actually don't necessarily throw your opponent. You, you get your footwork in there. You get your knees bent. You get your, you know, butt into it. Um, your hands in the right position. You got your grips right. And uh, it'll, it's just like muscle memory. It'll just make it so you can really enter into that position very quick and uh you know with very efficiently and effectively yeah gary that's why your throws are so good you're always getting your butt into it but uh yeah that's a good it's a good way to train because we have uh, typically we have jujitsu mats that don't have any sort of a bounce to them Uh, these throws do add up on especially older guys like me 
and uh, getting thrown 200 times in, in one session. I'm not going to be back tomorrow. I'm going to be taking some time off to recover from that. But if you want to move in and, and kind of get your hips right and, and, and start the movement and not actually throw me, do that 10 times, throw me the, the 11th or something like that. That's We're good to go on that. You get lots of practice in, minimal damage. You're upgrading, as uh, John Kavanaugh says, you're upgrading your software without damaging the hardware. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like Byron said, you do not want to damage the hardware. And, you know, just practice your takedowns. Even, you know, don't just do your takedowns, you know, straight on. Do them from the blind side, you know, just to uh, make them a little bit better. There you go, from the blind side. <laughs> okay, um, Gary, so this is these three tips. How about we each give one more additional tip about learning takedowns? Do you have anything? I'll go, you want me to go first or do you have one on the top of your uh, head? Well, you know, I was going to say defense. Um, you know, a lot of times somebody comes in with a, you know, double leg, single leg, um, you know, sprawl, um, you know, get very quick at sprawling, uh, you know, down blocks, uh, you know, to stop the wrestling takedown. And uh, um, basically you can turn that into a takedown yourself uh, just defensively. You're going to sprawl on them, uh, you know, spin, take the back, you know, block the arm. And, uh, you know, once you get to that position, as you said, throw mama from the train. Yeah, you know, that's always a great throw to do. Uh, Garrett, I thought you would say, uh, you know, your your the best takedown advice you ever gave me was break the wrist and walk away. Yeah, definitely uh, Napoleon Dynamite right there. Break the wrist and walk away. That is a very good one. I, my uh, additional uh, tip on this uh, takedowns, I think it, I'm going to take one from Justin Rader, is stance. Have a good stance. It's it's similar to, you know, posture while you're on the actual ground. If you have a good stance. If you have a bad stance, you're behind the game. You're going to be slower to move and react. A good stance gets you so much uh, more into the the movements that you need to be making. So just be aware of your stance. Don't a lot of uh, jiu-jitsu people come out kind of flat-footed and 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 you know straight-legged, just walking up to see you know, hey, what's going to happen? If you have a good stance um, and your legs are ready to go, and it's your athletic stance, uh, that will help you a ton uh, with your as you're learning the takedown game. You'll be yeah, surprised Bar- at how many takedowns you could avoid with a good stance. Yeah, you think a good stance, you got great balance. Your balance is probably so good, it's kind of like you're like a bird on a wire. Um, so you definitely want to have that kind of balance. Yeah, th- those birds are phenomenal, Gary. They could, they could just stand on that wire and not even get shocked. Yeah, that's one of my off. favorite movies. <laughs> it's been, how about that birdcage movie? Oh, yeah. I, I know you've watched that a lot. <laughs> Well, good times on that article. Uh, we'll put a link to it like we always do in the show notes. Uh, we urge you to check it out. We we didn't cover all the article, but we did cover some things that weren't in the article as well. So we kind of got a mix of uh, mix there going on, Gary. Yeah, definitely a mix. And speaking of a mix, uh, check it. Check out BJJ Brick on social media. Uh, we're on Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, uh, Byron's personal favorite YouTube. Uh, my personal favorite video on there is Byron's uh, grilled cheese video. So definitely check that out. And uh, also tell your friends about us. Uh, if you're listening to this show, you probably either uh, like you tuned into the show just to listen to Kim or you're a jiu-jitsu you know, fan who likes to listen to us each and every week. So uh, we have something in common. Your friends probably have something in common. You know, Let them know about us, and uh, we would really appreciate it. Yep. Hey, good news. I don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, probably not next week, but not. Uh, don't know for sure. But Kim is hooking us up with some more interviews of some of her friends. So uh, if you're one of Kim's friends listening, 
hopefully in, within the next uh, few weeks or, or maybe in the month or so, we'll have some of uh, Kim's friends and some of her uh, people that she uh, really looks up to on the show uh, doing interviews as well. So that's going to be fun. Okay, that kind of wraps us up. Uh, a lot of fun this week. We really appreciate Kim for jumping on the show with us and, and doing the interview. Stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower and also check out uh, Kim's sponsor, uh, Strict 9 uh, Clothing. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Did you just do number two? I did one, okay. and you can do three. I'll do two. Okay. You're making me the one I can't pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> At least you figured it out. Okay, okay, okay. Um, let me say grip. Yeah. Uh, this is a, it's a good article. It's got great advice, but I think it it might be missing some people's areas of, uh, <clears throat> let me try that again.